I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the Fighting on Film podcast. The podcast all about classic and obscure war movies. From the Normandy landings to the days of chivalry and swords. If it's been captured on film, we're going to try and cover it. I'm Robbie of RM Military History. I'm Matthew Moss of Historical Firearms and the Armourer's Bench. Hello and welcome back to Fighting on Film. This week we're pleased to be joined by the host of the Cold War channel on YouTube, David Schroeder. And keeping within his area of expertise, we're going all the way back to 1955 with that Cold War bomber fest that is Strategic Air Command. David, we're thrilled to have you on. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me on, guys. It's our pleasure. It's our pleasure. So, David, the first question we always ask, especially when people come on and they've picked the film, when did you first see Strategic Air Command? So I think the first time that I ever watched this movie, I was maybe 12 or 13 years old. I had uh, We had just moved. My family, we had just moved into a to a new town, new city, new country. Um, so didn't know anybody and looking to occupy my time with movies, whatnot. And uh, I'm an old guy. Um, so the selection at the time, it's not like it was, you know, you can go on stream, whatever I want. So it was a very limited selection that we had. And Strategic Air Command was one of those and popped it in and uh, sort of lost myself in the clouds for quite literally for about two hours. And the, the movie's really stuck with me since. It, is, it really does have that old Hollywood style and that and the sort of you're in safe hands, shall we say, when you watch it. The, the Technicolor, the stars, it's just something about yeah. it so of its era. It's a big production film. Um, certainly, I mean, cooperation with the United States Air Force. So it's got all the, the, the bells and whistles that uh, 1955 mm. could offer for a movie. Um, the story's definitely written with a message. Like, you know, there's the, the scripting and everything is designed around selling the United States Air Force and, you know, its position in during the Cold War. It's certainly not a B movie, um, no. which uh, I know you guys have uh, watched your fair share of. So, Ooh. <laughs> um, yeah, 
if if this goes well, I'm invited back. Maybe we'll pick something a little more lowbrow next time. So sure, sure thing. Matt, when did you first see it? I think it's one of those Saturday afternoon matinee what's on TV type deals, and I think I may have watched it with my granddad. I watched a lot of war movies with my granddad. Again, as as David said, it, it kind of stuck with me. I fondly remember it, but I don't think I'd actually watched it again until we knew we were going to do it for this episode. So I sat down and I thought, this this has aged really well in my mind. Anyway, you know, it, I I enjoyed it and it kept me it kept me enthralled. Although it's it's not technically you know a, a, a combat war movie, which we're not when we're not opposed to to covering yeah. things that aren't actually fighting on film because yeah. it's a Cold War movie and that's what makes it so interesting. And although it's peacetime, they're on a, a wartime footing and I love Jimmy Stewart. So, you know, it's a win. I mean, come on. I mean, Jimmy Stewart is one of those, just one of those classic actors, isn't he? But for me, I'd never heard of this movie. I mean, I heard of Jimmy Stewart, obviously, but A Wonderful Life. It's a Christmas staple, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, and I was, I was really excited to see it because the, when me and David were talking over Twitter uh, DMs to plan the episode. He was like, it's a baseball film with 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 bombers in it. And I went in and I was like, oh, wow, I'm going to see Jimmy Stewart hit a home run. And like, like I thought he'd like join the up to fight in the Korean War. So I was like, someone would rush into the stadium and be like, the Koreans have, you know, oh my gosh, we're going to go fight the Koreans sort of thing. And then that didn't happen. There was no baseball, but I absolutely loved it. I'd happily watch it again. Stuart really sells the movie for me. If it was anyone else, I think it'd be a, a maybe a hard watch in places, but he's so charismatic and likeable. Yeah, his his charisma and background really sell it. They really do. He was the Hollywood actor at the time. That was you couldn't you couldn't cast anybody better. I mean, he was uh yeah. He was a B24 pilot during the war, 20 combat missions over Europe. He stayed in the Air Force Reserve afterward. He actually, I think he retired as a brigadier general. He did. Yeah. Flying for Strategic Air Command. When you've had a career that runs straight from the the B-24 Liberator through to the B-52, then there's no one better to make a movie about Strategic Air Command, is there? And he doesn't need to learn about how the U.S. Air Force operates at that period because he knows he's, he's a member. He's in the club. He's the perfect man for this. He's not only money at the box office in terms of yeah. Hollywood. He's also very experienced and he's kind of playing himself almost. Very much so, yeah. I mean, he just knocked John Wayne off the top spot for the number one actor in Hollywood at the time. So he was huge. But, you know, the guy had won a Croyd again in the Second World War. He got a DFC. Absolutely incredible in terms of his military career. And then, you know, he goes on to have this incredible acting career after... He also worked in Hollywood during the war and he was in Winning Your Wings that was directed by John Huston. I see him as like a David Niven type actor. They're just eternally charming. There's something about their way on camera that it just makes them watchable. Yeah, he has like an everyman's charisma. That's it. Yeah, I mean, God, he's been in so many films. The Glenn Miller story, which was also directed by uh, Anthony Mann, who directed this movie. Um, Men in War. Yeah, Men in War. was also directed yeah. by um, Anthony Mann. So there's another little connection. Wow. And of course, he was a telemark as well. So Anthony Mann knows how to do a war movie, that's for sure. He's the um, man. But <laughs> but yeah, Jimmy Stewart's career is insane when you look at it. Yeah. Dozens it, it, and dozens and dozens of, of movies. Most of them are classics, in my opinion. 
So Jimmy Stewart plays Dutch Holland. He's obviously the lead, but the, the supporting cast is pretty interesting. So we've got, we've got June Allison, who plays Sally Holland, his wife. And she was also his wife in uh, the Glenn Miller story. Then you've got Frank Lovejoy as Gerald Hawks, who was in Retreat Hell and uh, um, Beachhead in a couple of years before this movie was made. And he, he plays this sort of uh, Curtis LeMay character, which I'm sure we'll come back to talking about later on. Yeah. Um, we've got Bruce Bennett, who is was an Olympic shot putter turned actor. Amazing. Which is a crazy career. And then he was in the Navy during the war. Um, he's Major General um, Spy, who um, brings brings back into the Air Force. Uh, then we have Harry Morgan, who plays the uh, the flight engineer on on the B thirty six. Obviously, perhaps best known as Colonel Potter from Mash. He was also in a nineteen sixty movie, um, Jimmy Stewart's only other World War Two movie, Mountain Road. But yeah, that that's oh, you got you got Jay Flippin as Tom Dolan, the manager of the the St. Yeah. Louis Cardinals. He would. He was in Winchester 73 with James Stewart as well. So there's a bit of connection there too. Yeah, it's interesting, yeah. isn't it? I think, did man direct Winchester 73? I can't, I'm, I'm I might think he might have. That. Yeah. So I think yeah. that's that's about it for the cast. I can't... Yeah, it's a very um, lean, very lean hmm. film in terms of cast. I mean... You, you can only got... fit so many people into a B36. That's, <laughs> that's <thing. is> true. <laughs> yeah. 30 or 40 at most. So... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, production-wise, I mean, as we said, full cooperation from the U.S. Air Force, which was something that was done at the time. Famously, um, Men in War didn't get any Army cooperation. Yeah, which is interesting. And that, that that's, that's a couple of years after making this movie. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the St. Louis Cardinals gave full cooperation as well to the to the movie. So, and they and they were in their summer training camp um, in Florida um, at the Owl Lang uh, ground sports trivia. Yeah, I know. Yeah, who knew? On a, on a film pod. Um, <laughs> it brings me into my next point that it, the story, though, is inspired by Ted Williams, who played for the Boston Red Sox. And obviously, maybe David would probably be better to talk about baseball than, than a British person would be. Um, but I'll, I'll be honest, I'm probably actually better to talk football with you guys than I am for any North Americans. Oh, gosh. Um, but yeah, so he played for the Boston Red Sox and he was just coming into the major leagues. World War II happened. This is a potted history. Sorry to any Americans listening. Um, I'm probably going to butcher his backstory. Um, but from what I gathered, um, he, you know, big star, goes and fights in the Second World War, flying in the, in the Marine Corps, comes back to the majors. There's nothing this guy can't do. You know, like an all-star, World Series. But then he goes and fights in Korea. There's definite beats to real life there. And I'd possibly maybe think that Ted Williams was still a big star in 55, so maybe it was difficult it would have been difficult to maybe get the rights to use his likeness, possibly. Perhaps so. And obviously because they wanted to make a sack a strategic oh, air yeah, command course, movie yeah. as well. They they couldn't use him verbatim. He yeah. would he would have made a great movie for the Marine Corps, that's for sure. He would have done. Yeah. But it led to a 25% increase in um recruitment drive for the Air Force this movie. So it did its job. That's wild, because when you watch it. Everyone's like, I hate being in the Air Force. <laughs> yeah, it's too are. hard and I don't like it and I want to go home. And why? I've, I've fought in World War II and I've been called back and I don't want to be. I've just set up a, a television business. I was doing electricals, damn it. And now yeah. I'm here like being a navigator on a B-36 and I just I want to go home. Then it, le- then it leads to an increase in recruitment numbers. That's wild. It's crazy, isn't it? But That's it's, something it's... we'll probably come back to, but I think it's really interesting the way the tone of the men that it portrays. It's quite... 
you know it's quite mm. authentic and realistic in that you know it's not showing them all going gee i love being in sack it's just the best yeah i love yeah. being prepared to drop nuclear bombs on the enemy 24 hours a day sack had a real reputation even within the air force for being an incredibly difficult branch like major command to be a part of uh, a lot of that was driven by just to go into a bit of the history here a lot of that was driven by lemay certainly uh it was all about rules and regulations lots of reward to go with it and there's i mean it almost sounds like i'm i'm talking to the script because there's there's pieces of that script like almost verbatim yeah where it's you know it's like you know we we work hard and we play hard kind of kind of stuff um and we promote and if you you mess up then you get demoted absolutely yeah and that's yeah. that's all very it's very realistic it's very true to the to the spirit of um in this day and age like the corporate culture that uh, that sack built um from the late 40s uh, into the 50s in terms of the tone the movie sets for recruitment i mean obviously the what came to mind for me was very much was top gun put yourselves on the line like you know it's like live hard play hard big rewards you know like fly the jet get the woman yeah you know, yeah etc um yeah this has more of a 50s feel and there's no beach volleyball but you know that's uh, Jim, i'd love to see jimmy Stewart play beach volleyball that'd be great <laughs> Jimmy Stewart and Harry Morgan playing beach volleyball. God, that'd be that'd be a hell of a film. I would love to have heard Danger Zone start when he's flying some B forty sevens. That'd have been great. But by a swing band. Yo, my eyes Dutch. That's probably what he would say. Um, <laughs> so it's filmed in VistaVision at the time. It was a brand new format to film um, thirty five millimeter um, film stock in. So it expanded the screen, you know, sharpened the the uh, images. Definition. Yeah. Definition. That's the word. And it is used beautifully by the cinematographer, William H. Daniels, who mm, worked on mm. Jimmy Stewart films like Winchester 73. And he just uses it to perfection to show these, these aircraft taking off in the air. There's brilliant model work that gets brought in for ex some external shots of the, of the aircraft, but just for air, aerial sequences in a movie. They are some of it's pure porn, really, isn't it? Let's oh, be honest. Yeah. It's just, it's l just literal aviation porn at some points there's mm. there's sections that go on entirely too long it's not the cinematography that makes you go god this is going on a bit too long it's the main theme of the mu the movie which is one of the sticking points for me that main theme gets overused way too much i think in, in to me but some of those some of that cinematography where it's the b36 is climbing and weaving through uh cloud banks and stuff it's really gorgeous and it's beautiful that vivid color of Vista Vision is just mm. stunning. A lot of a lot of the B thirty six footage from this movie is some of the only the only actual film footage of the B thirty six that yeah. that existed. Like once the the program uh, the B thirty six program uh, wrapped up and the, oh, the wow. planes were decommissioned. Yeah, they were they were starting to phase them out not long not too long after the, the film came out, right? Nineteen fifty nine. The last uh, the last airframe was decommissioned. So. Wow, that's fast when you think about it. Wow, that 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 kind of puts into perspective, doesn't it? Mm. How how fast technology was moving because it's the B thirty six is a is a sort of a hybrid. It's it's a prop and a jet powered uh, bomber, and yep. they are huge. Yeah, they're massive. You don't really get an idea of the scale of those in the movie. They should have put like a like a ne next to like a B twenty four or something or, or yeah. B twenty nine. That would have given you a real perspective of how much bigger the B-36 is. One thing that really struck me um, in terms of how they put some of the scenes together, like on the on the, the airfields, 
um, was that you only really ever saw single airframes. Mm. Um, there was not a lot of mixing. Like there wasn't ever scenes where you saw B-36s and B-47s together. Yeah, yeah. Uh, You didn't even really see any other type of jets on the uh, on the jetways or anything. It was always single type airframes that were yeah. there, which I, I thought was really interesting. It wasn't even that there was rows of cargo planes or, you know, it's like you would, I would have expected to see C-74s or, you know, KC-50s or something, yeah. something yeah. else, other, other frames on the, uh, the tarmac. And that was never the case. And I, I have to believe that that was very intentional in terms of that, those overt displays of power that sort of the Air Force is obviously wanting to, uh, to show. Definitely. I mean, when you think about what is shown in the movie, there's, there's a, a, a is it, what is it that real refuels? I mean, it's a kc at that point, there's a there's can, a plane that refuels the 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 B forty seven in there, which is yeah, a great scene. It's a KC ninety um, it's a KC ninety four. But even that is is shown as a truly like mammoth aircraft. Yeah, huge. Yeah. So perhaps it's perhaps it's a, it's just a pure piece of power projection onto screen. Whether you know yeah. we've got the big stuff, lads, and we'll use it if we have to. I hearken it back to when we covered. Um, uh, the Ministry of Information film Miss Grant Goes to the Door. This will make sense, but the Home Guard are really overly powered in that movie, overarmed, you know, tooled mm-hmm. up um, for for the for what they actually had in in the May of nineteen forty in that movie. Yeah, yeah. For and sure. we said in the episode that surely that's to do with this movie is going to be played everywhere in the states. It got UK showing too. You don't know if there's any. I mean, this is really sort of. Yeah, conspiracy theory esque. But if a double agent goes to see this movie, he can't report back to his handlers. Oh, look, they're using old aircraft. We'll be fine. Oh my gosh, look, look at what they've got to use against us. It's this sort of propaganda power. I guarantee trip. there'll be a, there, there would have been a file on this movie in the Kremlin there somewhere. It has to be. Yeah, because it's exactly the sort of thing that they profiled and kept tabs on. And they wanted yeah. to know what the Americans were doing propaganda wise, just as the Americans were aware of what yeah. the. The Russians were doing propaganda-wise, so you're exactly right. We need to see the latest Jimmy Stewart film. We need to see Big Bomber. <laughs> you document, you come back. You know, <laughs> just a big bowl of kasha while he's sitting in the theater. In the- <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, every week, well, every other week, I try and get a, a retro review, and I got a good one from the sketch. Um, and this is from the 29th of June, 1955. So they gave it a little rundown of of the plot. So it's a super colossal recruiting poster for the U.S. Air Force, clearly designed to excite young men of America and the maidens who influenced them with the prospect of joining SAC and operating one of these gleaming modern bombers, which gulp up space in enormous swallows. Along with the impressive documentation goes to a slight story about a baseball star who has just married and settled into a new home when he is recalled into the Air Force, which needs men of maturity and experience to operate the new B-36s and B-47s. James Stewart, and June Allison are pleasant people to have about the screen, and they have so much practice playing husband and wife that their mutual scenes are very plausible. The film is in VistaVision, which shows off the air shots to the advantage, and is an example of what large screen techniques can do. It must be regarded as one of the best. We should have just read that and ended the podcast there, shouldn't we, really? Because that's, <laughs> that's it, isn't it? That's the plot. They've clocked immediately that it's a propaganda movie. As that review said, it's... The guy's playing baseball for the St. Cardinal, St. Louis Cardinals, and he sees a B-36 fly over. General Hawk turns up and is like... Chekhov's uh, B-36, just sorry. 
<laughs> yeah. And he's like, I want you to come and fly bombers for me. And Dutch goes, sure, why not? Well, no, he's a little bit reluctant. Let's give, him, let's give, let's give him his due. So <laughs> tiny bit of reluctance. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the general comes and visits at the practice field and he's like, I, I need to talk to you. And then they have a lovely chat at his housewarming and he ruins his housewarming for him because Jimmy Stewart's on $70,000 a year yeah, at the Cardinals. He's big money. Like he's the Michael Jordan of baseball in 1955. It's just for inflation. That's almost like seven hundred million dollars or something. Yeah. Red. He, yeah. And then the U.S. Air Force recalls him, and the general's like, "Oh, I'm sorry, I made you take that reserve commission. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna have to ruin your your baseball career for two years." It's an interesting movie because it's it's such a picture of the idyllic 1950s USA, isn't it? June Allison is literally introduced as a, a vicar's daughter. So Jimmy Stewart, as Dutch, is marrying a vicar's daughter. Um, he's playing baseball, all American boy, you know, playing the playing the baseball, making making all that money playing baseball, um, which is the American dream. Yeah. And then uh, he's he's a veteran. He's been in the Air Force, U.S. Army Air Force, um, previously. And then he gets recalled and the spanner in the works is he has to go and fulfill his duty because he's still a reserve officer. Yeah. And he's never flown a jet before, never seen a B-36, other than the ones that keep flying over the the, um, the practice field. Yeah. And so he he's reluctant at first, but as soon as he sort of slots back into the into the the regime of the of SAC. He enjoys the pressure. He loves flying. And I think that's what really sort of draws him back into being in the Air Force. He loves flying. From there on, it's it's sort of a, a steady plot of, of towards him wanting to remain in the Air Force rather than, yeah. than leave after the two years. There's a little bit of jeopardy where his B, B-36 crashes. And then he's introduced to the new uh, B-47 and he falls even further in love with flying because it's the, it's the new hotness, it's the new cool aircraft. All the cool kids are flying the Beast 47. Exactly. Um, it's all, the most the... beautiful jet I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's the most beautiful jet I've ever seen. It's just like, you know. <laughs> oh, my God, I'm so envious of your Jimmy Stewart impression. That's so good. It's not great. <laughs> it's, not, but... it's not Dana Carvey level of good. No, it's, it's good. not. But um... I'm sure we'll hear it again. But for me, I mean, to jump in there, for me, I feel that Stuart is the government and his wife is everyone else mm. because he's okay. he buys the rhetoric. He sort of buys the propaganda halfway through when he's got the option to go back and play, you know, to return to his old life. And he goes back to June and says, look, you know, we're, fi- we're preparing for a war that it's not being fought, but it is being fought and we have to be ready for it. We have yeah. to be prepared for a war that might come. And she's like, oh, but you're not at war. There's no problem. And he's sort of trying to explain that, you know, there's a reason behind what he's doing. And then he goes back and flies and she's just sort of in bewilderment at why he wants to do it. And I, that scene for me is where it really becomes like backseat propaganda because then it's sort of trying to say to the, the people in the cinema, like, look, you know, we had a big war. We don't want another one. And this is why guys are having to do what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And I can totally yeah. 
Yeah, I can totally see why it works as a propaganda piece. From well, that she bends over on. backwards at first, doesn't she? You know? Yeah, um, yeah. And it it shows the the private life somewhat. You know, she has a baby. Yeah. In between smoking twenty packs, she has a baby. Uh, she's she has got <laughs> one of the most twenty a day accents going. Yeah, she has got yeah. the huskiest voice, yeah. and she's great in the movie. Like I she's really fantastic. like it. Yeah. She's she really sells the part. Um, and. You feel for it because she can't control the fact that Jimmy Stewart's been drawn back into the to military and he loves flying. She just wants to go back to that life that she thought she was going to have because it's idyllic at the beginning. It really is. Like It is. But she's the smartest one in the room because he's given up 70k a year to go and fly B-36s. I agree with you, June. <laughs> like, cut the guy's legs off or something. Keep the money. It's like, what the heck? But you know, I I I totally understand as well from from Dutch's side why he wants to go and do it. The, the propaganda pieces, while they're while the general is explaining what Sachs' role is, like in the Air Force, it's and trying to you know basically bring Dutch on board. Um, when he is reluctant at first, it's uh, the one line that actually I even bothered to write it down because it really stood out. Um, we're the only thing that's keeping the peace. It's a very general like Curtis LeMay line. Um, but it's it sort of underlines that whole we're at war, just no, nobody else knows it. This is the only thing that's keeping the peace and preventing our massive retaliatory force is the only thing that's preventing us from dropping atomic bombs. Yeah. And if someone wants to take out yeah. the irony from that, then please go ahead. Yeah, there's there's a whole two minutes worth of exposition, isn't there, to the manager of the St. Louis Cardinals? And yeah. he's almost like selling the idea of sack to the manager of the St. Louis Cardinals. And the guy's just stood there like, okay. Yeah. Because <laughs> you know, yeah. he's not going to be joining Sack, is he? He's just like... He just wants a third baseman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm playing the Cubs next week. You don't, you, you don't understand, Hawk. You know. <laughs> it's almost like the anti-war game. It, it, I think it's endemic of some of these early Cold War films before you get the war game when they're quite jingoistic the fact that a-bombs could destroy everything is sort of just not important it's like yeah you know we're flying these bombers and they can go really far but don't ask what the payload is or anything like that let's just skirt over that bit it's they mention atomic bombs in the movie once they never mention hiroshima or nagasaki it's basically the, like the entire b-29 force in the pacific and the and ten thousand men like they give it this like this real massive weight of of numbers the word atomic bomb is only used in the movie one time. It's a really important thing to sort of make people aware of. And then the, the fact that, that this Hollywood movie, this massive production Hollywood movie is just choosing not to say anything about a possible war. And I maybe think because Korea's only two years old, maybe people are a bit war weary. For a movie about bombers, to not mention any bombs is really weird. The hydrogen bombs had just started being tested within two years of the film as well right um so there's definitely like a lot of growing fears and concerns surrounding h-bomb mm. um effects and the devastation that that's caused because it's on such a such a greater scale um and the b-36 and the b-47 were i mean the b4 those were those were the the h-bomb delivery systems in 1955 that's that was the only means of transporting yeah. that to a, a target let's say Mm. So I can yeah. I can certainly I I can certainly look at it now looking back at it I can understand why they would want to downplay 
that as a in a propaganda film anyways well yeah yeah you know you don't want to tell the the public the truth i mean the war game tried that and it got banned so right but yeah i mean let's not get bogged down in nuclear apocalypses (laughs) not when the bombs look that good guys so i think maybe that brings us on to the alley tally it's time for alley tally on fighting on film So, uh, David, you're the guest this week. Uh, you get to go first. What's your alley? I think a lot of times, like, you know, the alley ten- tends to be sort of the more, like, smaller things. Um, I went for the, the the real big boy in the room. The, the, the B-36, to me, is just sort of this... Of course. Yeah. This phenomenal, incredible piece of hardware, machinery. Like, it's it's not pretty. There's There's other... There's other prettier jets. The B-47 is is much prettier, but that that B-36, it's uh, what is um, for those who out there who might not you know be familiar with it. It's just this big gigantic cigar, aluminum cigar shape with gigantic wings, six propeller pusher propeller engines, and four jet engines on it. Um, so um, a lot of times you'll hear people refer to the B-36 as uh, uh, six turn and four burning. Uh, referring to the engines but it's just this this massive piece of technology that when it was introduced it was already obsolete air technology was advancing so rapidly as it moved from propeller into the jet age and just with development times on jets and aircraft in general like it's it was obsolete when it was introduced and yet that's what the the u.s air force had as their primary sort of bomber weapon and by god this movie was going to sell it to the best of their absolute capability and to me they did such a great job of selling it as this wonderful wonderful piece of hardware and just selling it almost as a character unto itself so i i I love that b36 i think it's an absolutely incredible looking machine Mm. um it was in service for about 10 years never once dropped a bomb on anything in anger good yeah, good thing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think, I, yeah, as beautiful as it is in that brilliant cinematography externally, like the interior shots really fascinated me where Harry Morgan, um, he, uh, uh, flight uh, master sergeant Bible, I think his name is, and he, he shows him around the aircraft during that first flight on there and, you know, taking him through the, the tunnel into the into the back and he's, he meets all the, 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 uh, the guys at the back there. Uh, on the guns and um, in in and the navigator's position, etc., just really fascinating. Like there's a coffee machine, and um, yeah, it's just the scale of the thing. And you know for for a fact that you haven't seen like half of that thing. You haven't seen the Bombay for one because yeah. they're not going to show you the Bombay, um, <laughs> just in case any Russians are watching. And it's just a, it staggered me. I thought this is really cool that they've gone to the lengths of mocking up the internals and, and showing us parts of the, the aircraft and really gives it you an idea of you know the scale and the the capability of the airplane even with the there's a crash scene i think uh um at one point uh when jimmy stewart there's an engine fire which apparently wasn't that uncommon um yeah. in the b36 um there's this crash scene and even with the crash it sort of shows that there's a resilience and a ruggedness to this that it, you know, the, the B-36 
crashes in Greenland and, you know, they, they crash and, oh, like, you know, my navigator's got a broken angle, but it's fine because, you know, we're sitting here making like, you know, hot coffee and we just put a blanket over the, the one of the, the, the gun portals <laughs> yeah. and everything's fine inside there. Yeah. Like, you know, we're toasty and warm and it was just missing the marshmallows. Like that's really sort of yeah, the impression that you got from how they were, they were filming this. They went to the the ends of the earth to really to sell to sell that B thirty six as a wonderful, fantastic machine. So as Matt was saying, it shows the scale perfectly. There's a there's a little clip where I think it's one of the ground crew is just sort of seeing them off, and the wing goes above him. Shows the scale of that thing so well. It's just I couldn't fathom because you see pictures, and, and Matt sent me a picture of comparing the sizes of the bombers and. And you sort of still don't get the scale. And then when the guy was standing next to it, I was just like, oh, my God, human beings made that. You know, we went from biplanes in like the 1900s, early 1900s. 50 years later, we're building like a B-36, then a B-47, just after the Second World War and all the sort of destruction and material losses that we'd had and all things like that. It's a bit getting a bit grand, but humanity designed something like that off the scale. Yeah, it's hard to comprehend, really, when you when you when you really think about it. Yeah, especially and it is it's literally a projection of American might on screen, isn't it? Having that huge airplane as the as the main star, other than other than Jimmy Stewart, of course. He really should have second billing. Yeah, like second. Yeah, the B thirty six and James Stewart. Yeah. There's a number of other films that do a similar sort of thing for other elements of the Air Force. Because this worked so well, I think they, they did it showing off various parts of, of the Air Force. Cinema is such an effective medium for showing this kind of thing because it can show the real scale of a bomber. Other than being in front of one, you can't really get an idea of what they're capable of mm. other than in, in this kind of medium. If you're a Cold War plane spotter, this is the movie. It just has to be. It really is phenomenal. I mean, it's, they've they've taken so much care and time to make sure that they get those those perfect the perfect angle shots, the perfect so even getting the lighting right, like you know, making sure that you get the there's there's never that I recall there's never really scenes with clear blue sky. It's always blue sky with big puffy cumulus clouds as the the, the death machine pushes its way through the air. Because um, <laughs> yeah. ultimately, yeah. at the end of the day, that that's that's what they were. Yeah. B-36 entered development in 1940, 1941, when the Americans knew that they were going to be entering the war, um, but it looked like the UK might not survive, um, might be subject to a British invasion. Um, yeah. And they needed a truly intercontinental range bomber um, that they could support an attack on Germany with from the US, from the, the American continent. And even while the war was going on and they were sinking massive resources into the B-29, um, Convair was pushing like all this, like this time and effort and resource into, a, into this B-36 project. The American government gave it funding before there were even prototypes built. They'd agreed to order 100 um, before they'd even gotten one off the ground to do evaluations on it. Um, by the time that they actually entered by the time that they first flew, the hydrogen or the atomic bombs had already been dropped on Japan. Um, 
and that sort of set a slightly different trajectory as to what the B-36 was going to do and the role that it was going to fill. Um, but it came into service with underpowered engines, which is how the jet engines got added to it. It's this phenomenal, crazy story of technology so so quickly outpacing the development of the product. It's missing the duct tape and the you know the WD forty to keep things uh, to keep things moving there. But that's that's really sort of the the feeling that that you get when you read about the actual production of like the development of the B thirty six. That they're just adding pieces to it to try to keep up with the technology as it advances. Um, but it really is this, this, this phenomenal piece of pally. So Matt, I know you might have picked the B-47, so jumping off from the B-36. Yeah, and it kind of ties into my favourite scene as well, which is sure. when it's introduced. But yeah, the B-47, what a what an amazing aircraft. And again, relatively short lifespan, uh, much like the 36. I think it survived into the, the mid-70s as a testbed for certain things um, and as a reconnaissance plane as well, yeah. sort of. Um, but as a frontline bomber, it was only in there, I think, maybe 10, 12 years, uh, if that. It's such a different aircraft. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. To the 36, because it's kind of filling that medium sized aircraft role so it's they're seeing that they're going to be um equipped with rather than atomic weapons they're going to be equipped with hydrogen weapons and they've improved the engine technology so it it's a smaller aircraft the crew as well is is a fraction of the size of a, of a b-36's crew so there's um a navigator and two and two pilots on board i think on a on a, a b-47 it's obviously been designed around speed. Speed is its its um, main defense. I think it only has some tail guns rather than uh, the, the numerous guns that the 36 has, and it's it's designed to be capable of evading you know enemy interceptors. So it's a completely different aircraft in terms of um, genesis of the the idea, the concept behind it, and it it fascinates me that they were trying these various different things, and it was probably. In development just as the the b36 was reaching its fruition and it was beginning to yeah. know, be be introduced it's just the way that at that period aircraft were being developed in such rapid succession has always fascinated me it's the same with fighters things were coming into service as, as david said earlier, things were coming into service and they were already more or less obsolete and it's mm. just incredible that america had that capability of not only developing these aircraft but sustaining that kind of broad loss of like effort that they you know they poured millions of dollars into these programs and 
their industrial might is such that they can they can shrug off the fact that this thing's only going to be in service like a decade if it's lucky. Yeah. So it's it's an incredible thing. It's just a gorgeous aircraft. It's the lines of the B the B forty seven have always struck me as being like that classic medium sized streamlined swept wing bomber. It's very fifties design, isn't it? It looks like something out of a sci fi serial at the time. Even just the the all the all aluminum, like the non painted aluminum feel to it, like it's because yeah. as soon as you get to like the sixties in Vietnam, where it's you know the Southeast Asia camel patterns, and so I think that's how the U.S. Air Force actually balances things out. They design a couple of bombers, they stay in service for ten, and then they design the B fifty two, which stays in service for seventy years. Oh so God. yeah, it's 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 a thing that's still ongoing. Look at the F twenty two. That that was a relative, you know, failure, but um, a huge amount of money was poured into it, and they learned so much from it. And the the F thirty five is probably going to be in service two, three, four times as long as the the twenty two is. It's just those sequences of of when it was taken up and landing, and it deploys the, the drag shoots out the back, and it's you've got the crew communicating, especially during you know the the climactic ending where Jimmy Stewart can't move his arm. Spoilers. And the you know the co-pilot has to sort of operate the, the the throttles for him. Just really interesting in the way that it combined not only the external sort of cinematography of showing the aircraft in motion, but also with the I like the the sequences where the crew is working together and they 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 edit that together really nicely so it flows in this sort of way where you get this impression of professionalism. You know the the navigator is having a little joke like we're 30 seconds early or or you five books or those kind of little bits within the movie are really nice little things that break up the not only the the shots of the planes in flight but also the the serious sort of propaganda tone that it has in in other other parts of the movie and my other rally pick is the um is the very briefly seen because it has to be i have to mention it is the very briefly seen um revolver on jimmy stewart's hip during the briefing scene they're about to fly to japan and as he mm. returns to his seat sit back down he turns and just on, on the on his hip he has a uh, smith and wesson revolver only gone in the whole film so i had to mention out of curiosity did you was it an m15 i think so yeah i think so they came in the late okay. 40s i think the m15 came in um the model that the m15 was the commercial model that it's, ba- it's based on and to, i think into production in 46 47 so i think it'll have been an m15 so the dog handlers were the last people in the u.s air force the the, the dog handlers from the mps or the uh f air base security forces i think they're called were the last people to carry revolvers in the u.s air force well there you go the, the, the reason the reason that i asked that question um i was as as one does i was looking at uh for through various uh pictures from sack bases earlier mm. today and there was one of a uh, uh staff sergeant um in the the air guard um and he's got uh, a big colt 45 strapped to his hip and of course it's uh you're sitting there looking at it and it's like that i'm pretty sure that's not standard issue that's certainly not a uh an m15 like a strapped to his hip and it's just this like just this gigantic hand cannons attached to him i don't uh, know what the um the issue sort of was for whether you got a 1911 or a, an m15 i know m15 was standard issue for for sac mm. from 
early 50s, I want to say. Um, but I don't know where they stood in terms of non, non-reg, um, like sidearms and whatnot. But Yeah, I don't know. The US Air Force is, is an interesting one because the, obviously, famously, they were the first US service branch to use to adopt the M16. Curtis LeMay was the, uh, the guy that introduced AR-15s, the Armalites, um, into, into service specifically for his base guards. Yeah. That was, and he wow. started that whole process of what eventually turned into the M16s that uh, I'm sure were so loved by people on the ground in Vietnam. So uh. <laughs> It's a shame there's no little sequence of James Stewart Jimmy Stewart firing his revolver on a little range, sort of getting reacquainted, because that would have been a nice little callback to his Western roles. Yeah, if he sort of tried to true. fire it like a cowboy, and someone's oh, you're not in the movies, fire it the right way. Yeah, that would have been quite a nice little <laughs> nod. Do you know what I did like about that? Um, it's kind of like that. He arrives on base, they hold him at the, the front gate um, because he hasn't got his ID yet because he's, he's yep. just returning to back to duty. And he's not in uniform. And the general arrives at the gate, which is very well-timed. He, he Amazingly well-timed. Yeah. It's almost like it's a film. <laughs> and he, he lets him to, in. And, he's, script. and yeah. he's like, weren't you in uniform? And Jimmy Stewart replies, well, it was the wrong colour, which I, I really like that yeah. line. That was a great little thing to include. Because, you know, obviously the US Army Air Force, when it became the US Air Force, changed colour from khaki to Air Force Blue. Because doesn't he say to him something like, oh, I see you're not in your blues. Yeah, it's it's when Hawks is introduced. In, that's a great scene, actually. We should mention that because there's there he's taken onto the the base and he's being shown around a little bit. And then this uh, commercial aircraft has to land. It's in trouble, and it it lands and um, they they clear the runway and it lands. And then a load of guys just pour out of it, and you're like, "What the hell is going on?" And then um, uh, General Hawks. Um, steps off and he's like this was a test all of the the airbase guards are, are sort of embarrassed i don't know <laughs> yeah. why the, the 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 commander of the security detail is like i'm sorry sir i should have been more prepared well, like you, you rounded them all up before they even got off the runway <laughs> yeah it's unfair curtis lemay obviously who hawks is you know is a dead ringer for he used to do things like that at all of his bases globally he would, you know, sort of file, wouldn't file a flight plan, mm-hmm. would fly into the base, ask to see the, you know, the base commander and do a full and full surprise inspection. People like, you know, commanders would be, they would lose their commands. Security staff would, you know, be demoted. Yeah. Um, like all that's, that's very much based out of the, again, that, that corporate culture that, of fear yeah. that, uh, that LeMay sort of instilled into, uh, into, into sack that line i think there's one line that uh, that hawks gives um in response to the uh the security chief um it's uh all i'm interested in is results yeah don't don't tell me it's basically don't tell me about your hr problems all i'm interested in is results yeah because he yeah. says his men are too green doesn't he mm. it's yeah it's a it, it's such a it's such a great caricature of of who lemay represents it's really interesting that they did that because obviously LeMay must have had a big hand in the movie. So it's interesting that they had someone portray him so closely. I it, I wonder I would love to have been in the production meeting to for that where he was like, yeah, he's got to chomp on a cigar for like the whole thing. They even make a joke about that when uh when um Hutch, Jimmy Stewart 
finds out that he's a father and like you know it's like and and takes the cigar that's given to him and this one's for the general like that's yeah uh, yeah that. he gets off the plane doesn't he and the, there's like a, a ground crew and he's like doesn't the general know that that plane's cabin's pressurized that the cigar could make it explode oh, yeah. and J- jimmy sure goes it wouldn't dare yeah it wouldn't it's a great dare. little line i love it i'll quickly do my alley it's just two real really small points i really like james stewart's usaf navy bomber jacket that he wears just think it looks great bomber jackets are cool and then he has actual some actual genuine alley and we rarely ever get any genuine alley <laughs> where when he starts flying the b36's long haul um especially when he get when the crash happens he's wearing his st louis cardinals hat which i really his little baseball cap which i just think is really really nice little touch yeah um, and it it perfectly fits the the traditional original definition of alley it's it's non non issue cool gear favorite scenes so david again you'd like to start us off my my favorite scene that's one that's stuck with me since i first saw the movie um when Jimmy Stewart Dutch is doing his his first B thirty six flight. He's uh, he's told that he's going to do one takeoff, one landing in the B thirty six, and you know, he, so he, his wife's you know has dropped him off at the gate uh, right now, ne- right next to the B thirty six, which I think is absolutely hilarious because you know, yeah. it's supposed to be the most secure base in the world. <laughs> she gets around. She just walks into the operations building at one point. Mm-hmm. She's like, yeah. I need to speak to my husband. Well, he's like, well, he's just gone. <laughs> well, she, she uh, later in the film, she has new mother energy and you were not going to stop a new mother going anywhere. Very true. If you know very good true. For you. Yeah. So maybe that's why. Privileges of the Colonel's wife, I think. So that's, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. But, uh, so she, you know, she, his wife drops and drops him off. Like, you know, he's going to do one takeoff, one landing in the B 36. She's going to wait for him at the gate. And, you know, he gets in and they, they go through the, the huge, long pre-flight checklists. And it's, I mean, in a in a, a movie that you would think is trying to, like, you know, sell everything as being like, you know, look how instant everything is. Yeah, they yeah. really take their time sort of looking at the checklists, which was another big strategic command factor. Yeah, exactly. They're trying to show the, the safety factors and everything that goes into making this a, you know, a slick mm-hmm. operation. It's another LeMay thing. Um, he, when he was uh, a commander in the Second World War, he found that pilots were more, he was losing pilot, too many pilots to accidents. And he found that it's because there wasn't standardized checklists. So first thing he did was roll out standardized checklists. And he did that when he came into SAC as well. Um, so it's, it's just sort of all these little callbacks to, you know, with the, the, that, the LeMay touch, like, you know, what, what, he really did uh, in the organization, but they, they take all the time. They go through all the checklists and everything. And they finally, they take off and Jimmy Stewart does the whole, I like, think it's like, well, you know, it's like, aren't, aren't we a little high for a landing pattern? Like, you know, 40,000 feet. And it's like, you know, it's like, yeah, like, you know, it's like, we're, we're doing, you know, one routine mission and it's from, you know, Dallas, Fort Worth uh, at Carswell uh, Air Force Base to, uh, to Alaska and back, um, which in a, B-36 is, uh, that's a long flight. Um, and it's just this, the whole laughter and, you know, it's, and, you know, somebody tells him that like, somebody will tell his wife that he's not going to be back for a while. 
and that that scene just always made me that it stuck with Kelly me. Just had sort of his massage back. and rubbed down, which is <laughs> when he gets back, right? Yeah, which and he <laughs> he's he's as surprised about that as the audience probably is. He's like, what? <laughs> yeah, but that that scene just sort of you know sort of stuck with me that it's it's this casual like, oh, we're just going to do one takeoff and one landing with a because with a flight from Texas to Alaska and back. So because that's like the first part of the movie that really starts to hit home the propaganda side of it, where it's like. This plane can go that far on one tank. Even the sort of bits that you don't really think are propagandary, they kind of are. So when they go to the back of the plane to to showcase the gunners, just to show that it's got some armament and that little, co- I yeah. think I think the coffee line of being like, oh, you know, oh, James Stewart's like, oh, a cup of coffee, you know, and then he's like, oh yeah, we'll get your cup in a minute. And I always think, well. There's a reason to that because they want to show that these guys are well looked after even in the air. They're going to get a hot cup of joe, something to eat. Yeah. They are going to be well looked after. And it's it's just trying to sort of subtly say to anyone who's maybe thinking about signing up, it's like, look, you know, not only is the bomber really brand new and amazing, but we take care of our guys. This is why joining the Air Force is cool. You know, this is why it's a good thing to do. They do the same thing in the, one of the B forty seven scenes when they're flying. When the the navigator comes up and gives them gives them a sandwich. Oh yeah, it's this whole you know it's like this this might be a this might be a smaller jet and you know all the all this but here we're still gonna we're still gonna feed you and we're still gonna give you like you know coffee and make sure that you're looked after yeah as uh, as one of the crew so. even if it does come from a thermos instead of a, a coffee machine it's not nicely ground you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, so Matt your your fave scene this week. Yeah, mine mine kind of plays into my um my alley choice as well. So it's it's that first scene where um Jimmy Stewart and General Hawks um well General Hawks shows Jimmy Stewart the B forty seven. So it's it's after the crash and I think they're on the way back and, and the general is giving him a lift because he um he's just had a baby and they're, they're refueling uh, and the general just says I, I've got something to show you and he leads him over to this huge hangar and it's it's kind of like he, he opens the door and it's sort of it's it's a bit of a um, Ark of the Covenant moment where it's, it's just expands into this big hangar and then right there lovely really nicely framed shot of a, a B-47 and they walk up to it and the, the camera is sort of like a quarter overhead shot and it just it shows them walking up to it, and, and Jimmy Stewart's like just in awe of this brand new aircraft, and he's he's going about how beautiful it is, and the general it, it explains a little about a, a little bit about the aircraft, and he's kind of like he says maybe you'll get to fly one, and then they leave the hangar, and he get goes back home, sees his his baby, um, and it's just a really short scene, but it, it it's that really nice introduction to the next generation of. Yeah. of Stack aircraft, really cool scene. And the, just the sort of the over the head, so the aerial shot of it showing the wingspan, and another mm-hmm. scene where they show the scale of a, of an aircraft with a, with people, yeah. and it's this, it, and as I said earlier, it's it's the scene that cements um, Dutch back in the ways of the air force. You know, he really wants yeah. to fly it, and he and that's the main conflict that comes from the film with him and him and June, um, where they you know she's like what you know what are you doing what you got to do this and he's like but it's a b-47 it's the most beautiful plane i've ever seen have to fly it yeah yeah it's quite i think it's quite interesting in a 
in this movie that somehow the prota- the antagonists of the aircraft as well it's it's just a really interesting film in that regard but no the i mean the B- see, b47 it just looks incredible doesn't it it does and in filmmaking terms it's really interesting because they have that challenge of going from wow giant b36 to smaller but better yeah sort of b47 and they have to sort of convey that in cinematic terms and i think that scene does it really well it sort of it highlights that it's sleek new fast stewart's reaction to the actual actually seeing the plane is what gives you the sort of uh, okay so this is going to be the next big thing that's the yeah. sort of scene that cements the the b47 is the new star of the movie now that scene where they they sort of show the b47 I think one of my favorite little little pieces from that where there's sort of that attention to detail um the general hawks is uh his transport plane has like it's got a four-star flag painted on the fuselage just below the cockpit unless you know what you're looking at it's an absolute throwaway but it's just that little tiny add to detail that you know it's anybody whose flag rank like you know it doesn't matter what your vehicle is if it's a car if it's you know, even even the the transport, they've 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 bothered to to look at that and put the 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 four stars on the uh, on the plane. It's it's quite a nice little a little touch there. So for, for me, I mean, it's it's the crash scene. It's the set pick, the only rebate. Well, I say only set piece, but it's possibly the lovely model work, beautiful yeah. model work. So the, there's a crash. They're flying the B thirty six long haul they're over Greenland, and one of the engines fails, and it sets a light. They're testing um, fuel tanks, aren't they? That's it. Yeah. Cold weather, so, so, cold weather fuel tanks. Cold yeah. weather fuel tanks. Yeah. And there's a, a fire starts, and Dutch goes through his procedures and things, and then it looks like they're not going to be able to, to not crash. You know, it's going to they're going to go down. So Dutch courageously lets all the guys bail, and you think he's going to bail, but oh no, because he's a hero, he stays in the cockpit to try and keep it. I don't know, glide it down. And his um, is it his radio operator that stays behind us. It's his navigator. His yeah. Navigator. Yeah, and it, it, I think it's. David probably knows better than I do. It's like a, yeah, a dual nav- role, isn't it? His navig- that's his navigator. It's the, the guy that he pulled from the, the original crew that was going to get yeah. uh, demoted out. So. That's it. So he, he jumps on the radio, doesn't he? So yeah. yeah. He jumps on the radio. That's not traditionally the navigator's job, though, is it? Yeah, exactly. Because no. they would have had a radio guy. So that you get these really, like, I love these, the shot of the guys after they've bailed because they're just clearly little stick figures animated falling out the sky. And I and I did laugh quite a bit at that, um, but my laughter was abated very quickly because when the crash actually happens, you get this really nice model sequence of it crashing, and the wings come off, and it just shows a B thirty six sled <laughs> as it becomes going, you know, ploughing into the the snow, and it's just really atmospheric. You've got the tension of you know is. Dutch going to be killed and then you get that lovely shot of him in the cockpit with all the snow coming in and it's just it's just really well done and there is genuine jeopardy there because you know you're pretty sure that the crew that bailed god knows where they are even if they've survived you've got the now it's I thought it would turn into like a survival film perhaps I thought maybe that was going to be the shift but it didn't but there was a little bit of it where it shows the two sort of having a nice cup of coffee as you said earlier plugging the little hole with a mat with a, a like a, a, like a sleeping bag or an emergency like an emergency sleeping bag or something and then luckily they get 
they get found in a couple of days and it's all hunky dory. But as we as we said before, it's showing. Look at the survivability of a B thirty six, lads. You know, if you get shot down, or if you have to do this, then you're going to be just fine. You know, there's candles, there's mess tins full of hot cocoa. It's a it's a man's life in the, in the USAF. It's it's interesting that they show the fallibility of the aircraft. I thought I wasn't know. actually yeah I wasn't expecting them to do it. You know I mm. thought he'd I thought he'd perfectly land it maybe to show the to subvert the the fact that the, the, a plane is, is yeah well you know. I mean as David said earlier it shows the the strength of the fuselage of the plane um, that it it doesn't fold up and completely you know just yeah. collapse and kill them both. No, that it is holds true. together and it's you know, fine American engineering. It holds together and they're alive inside. But I just thought that was really interesting that they um, they decided to show the fallibility of, of the aircraft mm. from a perspective that did happen. The crash itself is actually based on a real life incident that mm. happened um, a few years, 1953, I want to say. It was a B-36 coming into uh, um, Newfoundland. Um right. Goose Bay, I think, CFB Goose Bay, um, and engine fire, and the crew bailed out. Pilot brought it down, and you know it's he he survived the crash, etc. So I mean that's they've definitely they've they've lifted sort of from the from the pages of history to the yeah. to the silver screen type thing. That's nice. Um, it really but, works. I I think it's a better. I think they should have ended the movie on that, whereas they should have they should have had the B-47 bit maybe earlier if they could have done it that way because I feel that's a, a lot more of a tense situation for him to be in. Will he get back to his newborn daughter and his wife? Will they survive the cold? Rather than, oh, poor old Dutch has got a hurty arm. He can't land There's the There's no jet. jeopardy to that scene whatsoever. No. Like, you watch that scene where they're, oh, don't worry, the single fire is still burning. Do you want to top up? Um, you know, I, don't worry. I'll, can you put yeah. that back in the in the hole? Yeah. It's getting a bit yeah. drafty in here. Dutch, you almost so he does. expect like Jimmy Stewart to pull out a, a cigarette and go, "Someone light this for me, so I can I can down this plane." <laughs> it's just like, it's, it is but it is there's, there's zero jeopardy. Even once they've landed, and the, is the air force going to find them? It's just like, yeah, of course they're going to find them. Next thing you know, there's there's someone digging outside and like, oh, hello, it's Harry Morgan. You you want to you want to lift? Yeah, <laughs> it's just and it's and I think another thing where in those scenes as well that really would have helped it. There's no turbulence in any of these sequences, even when he's going down. It's yeah. can they not have mm. some lads shaking the set or something to to give yeah. Stuart something to act off because he's which just is I mean it's interesting because he'd have known what landing a plane was like. Yeah, he'd have known there would have been turbulence and he should have been like going like like bouncing around in his chair but he, he, he they don't do that it just must have like i suspect that's maybe the the air force's involvement possibly you know tap on the shoulder to the yeah. film crew yeah. being like you can't we don't won't let you do this you know it's, oh, it's completely fine that the plane's crashed but my god if you show them having a, a rocky ride when it's happening don't don't yeah don't go that far <laughs> You know, and people, it's like driving an it's like driving an American car. You'll be comfortable when it breaks down. Exactly. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've got in my notes here that the the chap that that crash is based on um, was actually on site at, at Carswell Air Force Base during the filming as a consultant. Oh well. Wow. And his name was Brigadier General uh, Schufler. 
and he he was on an Arctic B thirty six mission that David mentioned, and it, and it did crash. Wow! So he was the consultant on the movie, which I think is really interesting. I think we might come on to final thoughts. What do you think? One last little sort of like tidbit on this movie. Um, when it premiered in 1955, it actually premiered at SAC headquarters um, outside. Like SAC headquarters is off at Air Force Base, um, Omaha, um, Nebraska. And that's where they chose to, rightly so, that's where they chose to actually do the, uh, to do the premiere of the film. Um, big, huge, I mean, this is a big trip, AAA Hollywood film mm. uh, showcasing and, you know, premiere in uh in omaha nebraska um and curtis lemay attended and his wife and his family attended the uh the actual opening gala um hosted the party afterwards uh, wow. lemay was infamous for absolutely hating social gatherings um but that's part of the more brass you have on your uh on your uniform the more that uh, type of thing you have to do but he uh he attended the, the and hosted the uh the opening of it and everything so i thought that was a uh, just one of those little nods to uh the the involvement of the air force mm. in the movie was that that's was really cool premiered at uh, at Offutt, so that's great that must be the only film major film that's had a premiere in nebraska i i can't imagine that there are too many others no yeah, probably not, not. <laughs> what a great Maybe. piece of trivia that's great that's cool and all, all of all of my reading on lemay i've, I've I've never been able to find any quotes from LeMay on what his thoughts were regarding no. um, the premiere, but that's uh, as I read more, I'm sure I will. I will hopefully find something. Mm. So I love the film. Hey, the pie. Probably that's probably <laughs> yeah. what yeah. I want to say thank you guys for letting me come on and, you know, oh. sort of talk about a movie that I, I really, I really do enjoy. Um, it's sort of has a bunch of those check marks about, the Cold War stuff that I really that I am always fascinated by it's airplanes and um, Jim, Jimmy Stewart's always a, a pretty pretty good bet yeah. um, on on a, any kind of day. Um, I I really like this movie because it's it's outside of what you guys normally do, um, but it's sort of showcasing that idea that the Cold War was there wasn't direct fighting between the U.S. and the Soviet Union, but there was yeah. this undercurrent and low current of constant hostility and tension that could at any point spill over. And I think that the movie does a really great job of sort of encapsulating that and presenting that as a, you know, mm. this is, this is why, this is why the, the U S air force does what they do and they're there to defend America. And one day I, if I ever get really into Soviet cinema, I hope I can find sort of the equivalent piece um, to this. Well, that sort of shows. Oh, yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. You know, a bunch, a bunch of guys standing outside of a, a TU-95 thinking that <laughs> yeah. they've got to watch for Jimmy Stewart coming over. So, I saw a pleasure for, for having you on and, and talking about the film, but I think this is the power of the war movie genre is that, you know, as we've seen and as we will go on to see in the, uh, the podcast run, like, it, these movies are really important for historical context because this shows a part of the war, part of the Cold War that is really important part of aviation history that's really important showing that everyone was sort of willing and prepared to come back into the fold should the need of a have arisen it shows how important the war movie genre can be as a piece of propaganda 
cinema. It's very interesting from that point of view. And it, the, you know, the ending sequence where Hawks, I, I really like the line where Hawks is like, look, I've, you know, I've campaigned for better bedding. I've campaigned for more time off to, to get, to keep, to get the best guys and keep the best guys. And I really like that because I didn't, for me, it was a nice little ending line for him because it wasn't only just saying, please come and join the air force. It was thanking the men who were already in and giving up their time, like thanking the men that were already serving. I, I thought that was a really nice little touch of the movie. And the theme song is an absolute banger. <laughs> Although it gets a little overused in some of those yeah, area I, sequences, I, the, just, the main theme. I, I got the lyrics a little of the bit song here. <laughs> oh, do treat us to a couple of the lines, Rob, please. I, I, I watched it with subtitles and found myself singing along. So I, I, this, All this week when I've been watching it with my wife, I've been like pumping the air as it's coming on. And it's, I think it's called, I don't know if this has an actual, it might be called Masters of the Air or Bomb or Men of the Air or something, the actual track, but it's Bombers high, right in the air, every man doing his share. Men of war better beware when the Air Force takes command. It's just so like rabble rousing and gets you up off the feet off your feet it's such a great little great song and the end shot of the movie is absolutely fantastic where you see the squadron of b-47s fly off into the distance and it's just like when the air force yeah, that's makes a great, the that's man a great shot. that's just like come on <laughs> you know it's exactly what the film wanted you to feel when you saw that it's, yeah, exactly it's that propagandic sort of element to it where rob was about to go and join sack because <laughs> Because yeah. he saw Jimmy Stewart fly B forty seven, and this is my whole point. That's the power of the film. I think you would. I think if you were of that era, and you saw something like this, and you were even half interested, I think you'd you'd at least go and check what it was. You know, you'd at least go and see what life could be like in the Air Force for you. Yeah, well, this film was successful enough to, as you mentioned earlier, it boosted uh, recruitment by twenty five percent. And the Air Force did it again in, in 57. They did B-52 Command. Yeah. Or yeah. I think it's called B-52 or, or Bombers B-52. I'm not sure. I can't quite remember. Which had, I think, Carl Malden in. And then there was a Rock Hudson movie a couple of years later, which just goes to show that they're taking leading actors of the day and they're putting them into these roles and trying to make these films to encourage people, the average American cinema goer, to go, damn, I want to join the Air Force. And also just does it with a, a respect for the men that are already doing the job and it doesn't forget them either. It's not just trying to be like, we need more new people. For me, I think the film is very much of its time. Um, pacing is a little slow in the middle. Um, for me, for, for once, it's me complaining about the pacing, not yeah. Rob. Um, yeah. It's it, it's just, just the nature of, of this kind of film. And obviously they can't have too much jeopardy in there because of, again, the nature of the, the propaganda and, and what it's trying to portray. But I, I really enjoyed the movie. I think those scenes of the aircraft in flight are absolutely stunning. Yeah, I uh, can't emphasize that enough. And that's probably my favorite part of, the, part of the movie is those scenes where we're seeing these aircraft that are long grounded, they'll never fly again, in, in flight doing what they did, being the deterrent, the nuclear deterrent that was there to prevent a nuclear war that probably would have ended civilization as we know it. Yeah. And bonus, we get Jimmy Stewart in a great role and he does a great job of portraying this patriotic, all American duty bound flyer that is willing to sacrifice a really successful baseball career 
to protect you know the american way of life which is exactly what sack wanted to instill in the men that were mm. part of the, the command they wanted guys to be willing to do these long hours the really demanding jobs that they all had and yeah it's just it's a really interesting movie and it's gives us a window into how sack operated and the propaganda of the period it's a, it's a it's a really interesting film if you enjoyed listening to me talk about strategic air command and sack please make sure that uh you know come check out my youtube channel it's uh, the cold war channel um we've got uh i'm somewhere in the middle of a very long episode on the rise of strategic air command and general lemay and lots of things that sort of touch on this movie um and uh now that i've done this podcast you guys are definitely going to get a pretty big shout out in the uh in the actual uh episode oh, as well you. so um thank you thank you guys so, like this has been this has been a lot of fun like i've really been looking forward to this and uh yeah I, so uh, we. a lot, ton, ton of fun it's just nice to cover a film that isn't you know this episode might as well be called flying on film for, for one week it's just nice to cover a war film that deals with the different aspects of war you know that's one of the reasons we set up the pod to it's the jumping off point and as you know david has said you know if you are interested in this david's cold war channel is an absolute smorgasbord of cold war content and you really can't go wrong you know i also would say if you don't listen to it cold war conversations as well to get your your earbuds and your eyes into so again thanks for listening we've really enjoyed having david on no doubt we'll invite him back because there are some really good cold war movies that we can cover and as always don't forget to share the podcast leave a like a, a review on whatever podcast app you're listening on uh, do check out the website fightingonfilm.com uh, check out david's channel uh, cold war channel uh, on youtube and you can support the podcast on patreon and yeah thanks for listening everyone and we'll catch you again so bye-bye thanks guys bye hey it's Paige desorbo from giggly squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to quince i'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters sleek leather jackets fine jewelry and so much more with quince being 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands and they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.